Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Robcast. Now, uh, it was probably, well, it would have been the end of April. One morning before school, my daughter and I were, we had found this butcher paper. You know, it's like a thick paper, and it's big and wide, and we had it spread out on the table, and we were doing, uh, we just get out, like, markers and pens and colored pencils, and we're just drawing and we're making cartoons, and we're making designs. We're just messing around like we do. And in one corner of the butcher paper, I started writing out this ridiculous story um, about a guy named <laughs> Don who has a goat and a guy named Ron who has a boat. <laughs> Seriously, it was as ridiculous as it sounds. And, uh, and then um, she got some breakfast, and I took her to school, and then I came home and sat back down and just kept going and wrote this kid's story. This, it's, I don't even know if it's a kid's story. It's just ridiculous. And uh, at one point, I was reading the first part out loud because it made me laugh really hard. And my son Preston comes in for breakfast, and he's like, Dad, seriously. <laughs> he's like, Dad. He literally said, the world is not a better place because of this, <laughs> because of that. <laughs> Oh, you know that thing? Like, some of you know what I'm talking about. When your kid looks at you like, are you, are you kidding me? Seriously? You know that look? <laughs> Which, of course, made me laugh really hard and made me like the story even more. And then Violet came home from school, and she said, Dad, uh, that story, because um, it was uh, around the time of her birthday, she said, when you and Mom on my birthday bring treats to my class, because you know how that drill works, at the end of the day on your kid's birthday, you show up and you bring treats, and the kids end the day with like a birthday celebration of your kid. And what, what parent wants to miss that? Um, she said, would you bring that story and read it to my class? And of course, but of course, your kid wants you to come to their class and do something. Of course you do it. Um, so I, then I actually like typed it up. And I took it in um, to read to her class. And they all sat, second graders, on this rug in the middle of the room. And uh, what she didn't know is that she didn't know how the story, like the middle and the end of the story, um, because my daughter's uh, named after her two grandmothers. And I had been telling her stories about my grandma. It's, uh, she's named after my one of Kristen's grandmothers, one of my grandmothers. And my grandmother, her middle name, um, was like so... We were so close. Um, my, my grandma and I, we had lunch every Friday for a decade. You know what I'm saying? Like, we rolled deep, as they say. Um, and I had been telling my daughter stories about her grandma's, who her, where she got her middle name. And then we found out that at school, she had been signing her papers um, with her middle name um, after I'd been telling her all these stories. And what she didn't know is that a character who shows up at the end of the story is... Um, the name that my daughter has been signing on her schoolwork. So I'm reading this story to her class, and I'm watching her when this character shows up, who, um, you know what I mean, that moment, just watching her face at that moment. Oh, seriously, raise your glasses, so good. By the way, I should also say this. My daughter's teacher, second grade teacher, Miss Aochi, shout out to Miss Aochi. Miss Aochi is one of my heroes. Miss Aochi has been teaching in the Los Angeles public schools, which are called LAUSD, for 35 years. She, she to me, is uh, 
she is the living embodiment of the idea of humble mastery. Um, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, but we should probably run over it for a second because uh, Miss Ayochi is the embodiment of humble mastery. And the reason why humble mastery is so important is because for many people, their understanding of aging is informed by pop music. Because think about pop music. The pop star is what, 21, 22, 24? There's uh, a hit single. And then the question with the follow-up album is, can they do it again, or are they going to be a one-hit wonder, correct? And so pop music, and then there are, of course, the, the aberrations who go on and have long careers, but generally, pop music has so deeply offensed pop, deeply influenced pop culture, and the reason why this is so important is for so many people, they get up in years, and by that I mean over 30, and they start talking about how, well, I'm too old for that, oh, I'm totally out of it. Think about the language you've heard people use about this. They're in their 50s. Oh, you know me. I'm, I'm in my 50s. I'm past all that. Um, think about how the arc and trajectory of pop music has affected how many ways, how many people think about aging, which is pretty much in your late teens, early 20s, you're in, and then gradually you're old and uncool as you just sort of fade away. But when you look at all of the great trades, crafts, art forms, professions, it's always assumed that as you get older, you get better. You realize this, right? If you're a playwright, a sculptor, a doctor, law, healthcare, finance, think, would you rather have a 31-year-old heart surgeon or a 51-year-old heart surgeon? Who do you want opening up your ribcage and meddling with your ticker. You want the person with more experience, more wisdom, the person who has been through more trials, who has encountered more obstacles and overcome them. In all of the great professions, vocations, and trades, it's assumed that as you do your work over the years, you get more limber, you get more flexible, you gain all of this wisdom that you simply don't have when you're younger. And so as you're growing in your mastery and all of the masters in any area of work, when you talk to them, the true masters, they never boast, they never brag, they never po puff up their chest with how awesome. They always have this sense of humility because the better you get, at working whatever your trade, whatever your craft, whatever it is you're here to do, the more you work it, the more you learn how much more there is to learn. The more you do it and the more skills you build up, the more things become possible that weren't possible earlier. The more your imagination expands because you realize, well, if we were able to do that, what else would we be able to do? So humble mastery is how people have understood work for thousands of years. You now have in our culture some new ideas that are basically like you're young and you're relevant and then you're old and you sort of fade away, which is a, an aberration in how people have understood their work in the world. And especially those of you, uh, you're 40, 50, 60, and you're like, well, you know, 70, I guess I'm just, uh, I'm just done. No, no. And actually, if you look at a lot of... Uh, great artists, and you look at a lot of great technicians, it was really late in the game that 
they actually produced, you think of George O'Keefe, you think of how many people, it, I mean, think of Clint Eastwood's movies later. It was later that they were actually, they've actually gone to places they never could have done. Or you think about the, uh, the blues singer who their voice, that weathered, uh, that vintage quality to the voice, it just took years for that voice to even develop. That voice couldn't have worked in the 20s. They had to have had that life experience. So when they sang about that, you actually believed that they knew what they were talking about. Yeah. So whenever I meet somebody who does this, like, well, you know, I'm just sort of, oh, all that stuff's passed me by. I'm, I, I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. But Miss Aochi, uh, who listens to the Robcast, incidentally enough, m much love to you. She's one of my heroes. Um, so beautiful to watch her and to watch her in her classroom, a true master who's been doing this for a long time. And to see how there's like this absolute control of the classroom, which feels like freedom. The kids seem totally alive and able to pursue their work. And yet it's guided and there's this strong sense of it's like, a, it's like a paradox of control and freedom happening at the same time. So I take this story and I read it for Miss Aochi's class and it's just a blast. And all the kids, they laugh. At the, they laugh at parts I didn't think were funny. They laugh really hard at certain parts. And it's just a ridiculous story about a goat and a boat. <laughs> so um, my, my son is with me and he takes a picture of me reading the story to my daughter's class on her birthday. And I put the picture on Instagram and I just tell about how much fun it was to be at my daughter's class. And I read this story called A Goat for a Boat about this guy named Don and this guy named Ron. And uh, I don't think anything of it. And then all of these people contacted me and they're like, hey, w when can we hear the story? <laughs> and the number of people, you would seriously... You would laugh so hard at how many people said, this will be a Robcast episode, right? Like you're going to read a goat for a boat. <laughs> and then here's what makes me laugh even harder. It's like an inside joke within an inside joke within an inside joke. As I'm out on bookstore tour and there are people who would wait in the signing line and get up and they would just say, Ron and Don, a goat for a boat. <laughs> like it was secret society code language or something. Like how does even all you know is these two dudes, a goat for a boat in the name of the story, and there are people who somehow remembered that and they would say it to me, which makes me laugh really really hard. And so I was like, well, then I should probably do a Robcast episode and read this ridiculous story. Uh, because if it makes you laugh that hard, you know, we, we, just, uh, we just share the joy. That's what we do, right? We invite people to laugh with us. Um, oh, by the way, why? I don't know. Why, why, why this story? Why, why do I find myself on butcher paper writing it out longhand with a pen? Why? why? I, don't, I don't know. No one does. You know what I mean? No one does. Th this, this is actually the problem in the modern world. As people have become so used to analyzation at a distance that it actually can cut you off from your true self. So here's an example. Uh, a couple of years ago, I met a woman who's a nurse. And um, she's so inspiring. But I remember her telling me, she said, I'm good at death, <laughs> which is a pretty awesome sentence. Are you with me on that? Uh, she said, I'm really good at death. 
And she didn't say it in this sort of like, you know what I mean? Like sort of cocky way. She said it like not very matter of fact. And then I asked, so of course, obviously, you know this, I asked her all sorts of questions. And she said, uh, in the hospital where I work, when people are dying, that's when I'm at my best. And so a lot of her responsibilities are with people who are in the last days, last weeks of life. And she said, when everybody else is sort of shocked when it's getting um, all the sadness that comes with death, all the release, all the complicated issues, all the family who comes. She says, I, I get calm, and uh, she's like, that's just where I shine. And she's told me all these interesting stories. Some, you know what, sometimes I, need to, sometimes I need to have her come on the podcast, and I need to interview her, because when you hear some of her stories, um, you, would, you would be like, yeah, that's, that is... Oh, my word. Some of them just send chills on your spine. But what's interesting, if I were to say, why? Why? I don't... What would she say? Why are you good at death? Or you, whatever it is that you, my Robcast listener friend, whatever it is that you do, whatever it is that brings you the deepest sense of satisfying contribution, like this is what you're here to do. If I were to say, why? Um, You might say, oh, meaning or purpose, or you might say satisfaction. But beyond that, why, why this and not that thing over there? Um, there really aren't answers. Why do I, uh, books, podcasts, tours, talks, um, ridiculous kids stories that make, why? I have no idea. Actually, uh, there's this story about a person who sets out with a quest and their quest is to figure out who they are. And they have this question, who am I? So they go a little bit up the hill, and they visit this guru in a cave. And they say to the guru, I'm on a quest. I'm uh, trying to figure out who I am. Who am I? And the guru just tilts her head back, and she laughs. And she says, who am I? Oh, my word, that is way above my pay grade. That is like the question. You're going to have to go higher up the hill. Uh, That's not something I know how to answer. So she goes a little higher up the hill. And there's a yogi, and he's sitting there in lotus position. She says, excuse me, sir. She said, I'm told you might be able to help me on my quest. And the yogi says, oh, okay, what do you need? And she says, well, uh, I'm asking this question, and I, I think you might be able to help me. What's the question? The question is, who am I? And the, the yogi starts laughing, and he says, oh, man, that's, that is the question. That's a deep one. You know, I don't, I don't have the tools for that one. But if you go higher up the hill... Uh, there's a mystic, and there's the mystic might be able to help you. So she goes higher up the hill. The hill's now a mountain. It takes her a day to get to the next cave. She's farther up the cave. It's more rustic. It's more wild. Uh, she shows up at this cave, and there's uh, this teacher, uh, this mystic in the cave. And he's sitting there, and he's got a candle burning, and she says... I'm told you might be able to help me on my journey. And he says, well, what's, what do you need? And he says, well, I have this question. Who am I? <laughs> and the mystic just howls with laughter and says, oh, man, I, don't, I am, that's total, I'm not up for that. But if you go higher up the mountain, there's a sage, an old wise woman, and I'll bet you she could help you. So the woman leaves the cave, goes up even higher on the mountain, and finds this old ancient woman who's like 167 years old, living in this tiny little cave. And she says, I am so exhausted from my journey. 
all I'm trying to do is answer this question, who am I? And ev- nobody has answers. They all say, go higher up the mountain. And now I'm to you, and you're my last hope because I'm out at the top of the mountain. Can you please tell me, who am I? And the sage tilts her head back and laughs and says, who am I? <laughs> Who's asking? <laughs> Raise your glasses. So good. Who am I? Who's asking? See, there is this true self, this essence. There is this core to your being uh, that knows. And oftentimes what happens is we are standing at a distance, analyzing. We're asking why. Uh, But the answer to why, the better question is what, and the what is joy. And joy ultimately doesn't exist as an intellectual category that you stand at a distance from and analyze. It's something you are caught up in. Here's what I mean. You love opening Christmas and Hanukkah presents with kids. Why? Because when they open the present, they're only there in the presence of the present, opening it with their eyes big, feeling all this joy pulsating through their body. Have you ever seen like a six-year-old kid open a Christmas present, and as they're opening the present, like, look at me here opening this present and my joy. Isn't that fascinating, the way that the surprise works on me? No, no, they're just, there's only one them. But now think about what happens when you get older, and you're having the experience, but you're also doing what? You're standing at a distance. You're, you're, there's cynicism, skepticism, there's irony, there's you having the experience, and then you, there's you standing at a distance letting us all know that you're not actually all caught up in the moment, that you see what it is, and come on, guys, you understand that I'm sophisticated. But actually, your moments of greatest joy are not when you're two, but they're moments when you're one. They're not moments when you are at a distance watching yourself have the experience. You are simply having the experience. So when we talk about what you're here to do, uh, I have no idea why certain things light you up and turn you on and get you cranked up. And I don't know why certain causes give you that divine sense of anger. Somebody should do something about this, and it's you. And oftentimes, the analysis of it will, will leave you with even more questions, right? Because joy is participation in an unfolding larger than yourself. And it's not an intellectual exercise. It is a full-bodied flesh and blood experience that you throw yourself into. Why do I make things? I don't know. All I know is this is where the joy is. There's this great uh, story. Um, perhaps you've seen them. There's a documentary, The Walk. I think it's also like a movie about it too with uh, about uh, Philippe Petit who strung the wire between the Twin Towers in the 70s and then tightrope walked between the Twin Towers. And uh, in the documentary at the end when he's arrested and he's being hauled away, all the press gather around him and they're like, why? Why did you do it? Why did you do it? And he says, ah, he says something like, only Americans would ask that question. (laughs) Because he's French. He's like, you just do it. You just do it because it was there to be done. You know what I mean? You just do it because it was the next thing that needed to be done. So uh, Ron and Don and a goat and a boat, I don't know. (laughs) So I decided I'm going to read you this story. And uh, it's interesting, today's Father's Day. Last night, I was going back through the story thinking I should probably make sure there's no glaring. Well, there's lots of (laughs) glaring weirdness in it. Kristen's like, oh, that's cool. Father's Day, you're going to record a podcast about something you did for your daughter. Uh, because you do anything for your daughter. You do anything for your kid. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, what is that about kids? 
something. It's almost like you have this default. What do they need? What do they need? What do they want? And you do it for them because their joy is somehow your joy. That's the great mystery. Uh, that's the great mystery of kids is when you realize your joy, hopefully in healthy ways, is caught up in their joy. Your joy is actually expanded. There's your joy. Maybe you have a partner, and now there's our joy. You have some kids. Now there's our double time is ours. We, the joy, and it expands. That's, now that is a mystery. So um, Miss Aochi asked for a copy of the story. So I printed it out, the only printed version of the story, and I took it um, the last day of school, just a couple days ago, and we took some uh, gifts from Miss Aochi, and I went into the class like a couple minutes before the last um, bell to end the year. And uh, the class, you know, they take everything that last day of school off the wall, so it's all stripped down, and the whole class was sitting on the floor, and I just snuck in the back and sat down, and then Miss Aochi said, oh, good. And so I gave her the gifts and gave her a hug and told her how much we love her and how much we appreciate her. And then uh, she said, oh, wait. This is the, st- and I gave her the printed version of Goat for a Boat. And she said, Oh, would you read it again to the class? <laughs> sure. Uh, if you insist, you want to end the school year with this ridiculous story. Okay. So um, I'm sitting in one of the kids' chairs, like these little desk chairs. The whole class gathers around me. Like I have kids, you know, and they, like when you're sitting down and they sort of lean into your shoulders, all the kids gather around this little desk. And I start reading them the story. Now, I remind you, this is a story they've heard before. And those of you who have kids, this does not surprise you that kids will sit through a story they've heard before because there's something called Pixar and there's something called iPads. And you're like, how has my kid watched Toy Story 9, whatever it is, 50 times? It's amazing. But on long car trips, you're grateful for this, right? So I read them this story. They just heard, what, end of April, and they laugh harder. They're like not moving. These are what, seven year olds, eight year olds. They're not moving a muscle standing there. And, and here's why I tell you this the bell rings. School is out for the year. Remember when you were a kid and the school bell rang? You were out of there like a rocket. The school bell rings. I still have like two pages to go. None of them move. They're not going anywhere till they hear the story that they've already heard before. Oh, that is the power even of a completely absurd story, isn't it? Stories have uh, power. Now, I realize this word story, it's like, it's like a word of the moment. Have you, have you heard this recently? Our story, uh, my story, there's your story. I'm on a journey. Let me tell you a bit of my story. Story is like getting its, its day in the sun. Are you with me on this? Like story, this word is everywhere. And I've been wondering, and I was thinking about it when the kids didn't move a muscle on a story they've already heard. And I was thinking about how with adults now, people are talking about story. It seems like more than ever. What's the story of your company? I just want to tell you our story. And do you know the origin story? And you know what? I've got a story and she's got a story and he's got a story. And uh, sometimes you just got to tell your story and hear each other's stories. Uh, Why is story experiencing such a resurgence. And then it clicked for me uh, two nights ago. I did an event with the minimalists. They've been on the Robcast before. You know the minimalists, right? Ryan and Joshua. Um, I did an event with them at the Belasco Theater downtown LA Friday night. And uh, they 
told sort of a brief overview of their story of becoming the minimalists. And then um, we did an interview and discussion and all that. And uh, what was interesting to me hearing their story again is they were talking about the American dream and the accumulation of stuff and how they both had houses and possessions and cars and clothes and they were just accumulating. And then they both each independently came to these moments of realization of, I'm not happy, this is all making me miserable. It was like, oh, this is why story is having a comeback. Because a culture tells you stories about what matters, what's significant, what makes you happy, where the joy is, what you're doing here. And if you don't get really intentional about the story that you are living, you will get sucked up into the story of your tribe. That you're already in a story of the dominant story that's being told around you. And unless you take ownership of the story you're going to live, you'll end up living a story that somebody else decided. And then in the modern world, and what happened when free market, democracy, capitalism, um, technology, internet, American entrepreneurial engine thing, when they all collided, is the story that so many of us were raised in at some level was more, better, faster, cheaper, achieve, success, accomplish, accumulate. Sound familiar to anybody? Right. It, the, the story was more, just more, more achievement. Just get better grades so you can get into a better school, so you can get a better job, so you can have more respect and make more money to have more things. And it's like, it's like the minimalists, and the minimalists are wildly popular and successful. Essentially what these dudes, these beautiful dudes are doing is going, uh, that story actually takes you somewhere and it's not that great. There's a better story. There's a better story. The cultural power of what they're doing is essentially warning certain stories take you somewhere. You know what I mean? Certain stories aren't neutral. They have values embedded in them. And if you don't challenge them and maybe even leave them behind or reject them, they will take you somewhere and you might end up really miserable. Yeah. And perhaps that's why we're seeing a resurgence of stories is it's somewhere in the modern era, we lost the power of story or the intentionality or the awareness of how actually everything is driven by the stories that we're living according to. Uh, you don't take a firm grasp of the story you're living. Your story ends up getting told for you. You end up living a story someone else determined. Uh, but yeah, stories are how we learn. Stories are how we get it. Stories are how we wake up. Stories are what warn us of the path that we're on. So I tell these kids the story, I read it again, and they don't move a muscle, which tells me uh, some stories you can hear over and over. I know there are certain stories I need to hear over and over. So uh, now we need to do the official broadcast, Robcast premiere of A Goat for a Boat, which I shall read for you now. By the way, <laughs> come on, some of you are like, just get to the story. No way, no way. Another intentional tangent. I'm already sensing those illustrators that are out there. Some of you, you're very, very talented and you make me laugh with the things that you draw because you send me the things that you draw. If you hear this and you need to do your thing, right? If you hear about Ron and Don and you think, 
I know what that looks like. Because inst- in, 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 interestingly enough, I don't have any visual idea what this story looks like. The closest I can come is Beavis and Butthead, but that doesn't work at all. Um, but I know some of you, you're going to picture this, and if you need to post on Instagram, you will make my day. But please, weird is the operative word here. Ridiculous, absurd, okay? So if you're like, some of this needs to be illustrated, if you need to show me what Ron and Don look like, I would love to see what they actually look like in your head, but if you just draw them like bros, you know what I'm saying? If they've popped the collar, you know what I'm saying? No, I need weird, strange, and ridiculous. (laughs) Okay, okay, there we go. That was the most hype ever for a ridiculous two-minute story that I'm gonna read you. But it just felt right because, boy, we covered some stuff, didn't we? Humble mastery and story, and that is amazing. Uh, how much ground we covered in the hype, in the, in the wind-up, in the prep for this story. So <clears throat> let me get my best ridiculous story-reading voice. Ladies and gentlemen, for your pleasure, a goat for a boat as read by the author. (laughs) Uh, Don had a goat, and Ron had a boat. Ron used to row around in his boat and gloat and say, I'm in a boat, Don, and you're on land. I bet you can't stand it that I'm in my boat and you're stuck out of luck on land in the sand with a goat. Who wants a goat when you could have a boat? And Don would get so steamed at Ron. It seemed all Ron did was gloat in his boat, making fun of Don and his goat standing on land. Don's goat was named Randy, and his goat's last name was Dandy. So Don would stand in the sand with Randy Dandy, getting his feet all sandy. He couldn't stand the sight. He just might explode. If Ron said one more thing about how hot to trot, he thought Don was not because he only had a goat and Ron had a boat. But then one day, Don saw Ron at yoga. Ron was wearing a toga. And as he walked to his Toyota with the air freshener shaped like Yoda, Ron said to Don, So Don, I've been thinking, and I know I've gloated while I boated about the joy of my float, while you were stuck on land with your goat. But I've had a change of heart, and I'm ready to part with my boat. How would you feel about making a deal? I'll trade you my boat for your goat. Then I'll be on land and you'll understand what it's like to float in a boat and see another dude with his goat standing there on land in the sand. Don was so thrilled he could not stay chilled. He tried to keep his cool and not drool like a fool who'd never been to school or knows how to use power tools. So he said, well, Ron, I'll have to think about that. I've got a lot going on with my Don Juan chiffon salon. (laughs) Whatever, whatever that is. Well, Ron, I'll have to think about that. I've got a lot going on with my Don Juan chiffon salon. I'm not sure I could trade my goat for your boat, but really, what he said wasn't true. All he could think about was the lake and what he would take with him on a whim if he had a boat that he'd gotten from trading for a goat. So he gave up the act, and he made the pact, right then and there holding his yoga mat. He got that agreement down pat. Yes, I, Don, will trade you, Ron, my goat for your boat. So a couple days went by and the sun 
was way up high in the sky, and there was Don in his new boat, all serene in his clean watercraft with the mast at half, floating along like the king of the lake, singing to himself while eating a cake that he'd baked while he dreamed that morning of a day on the lake. He was singing to himself about how this moment takes the cake when he noticed a strange moist sensation emanating from his posterior region. Those are big words for a story like this. Let's make it more simple. Let's make it more clear. He began to feel water on the end of his rear. His buttocks was getting wet from water on the bottom of the boat, the part that's flat. You get that? His pants were starting to soak. This was no joke. He looked down in the stern, and to his consternation... (laughs) Oh, my word, I love that. He looked down in the stern, and to his consternation, there was water from the lake coming in the boat. Now, the boat was made of wood. This kind of wood is called teak. His leak, his... (laughs) His teak had a leak, a small one that seeped, and now he could feel the seep creep into his underwear. He'd wet his pants, but not from his own body. His pants were wet from boat construction that was shoddy. It was then when he knew the stew he was in. It was then he heard a laugh, a nasty laugh, and a roar of delight. He then took in the sight of Ron on the shore. He was the source of the roar. Ron was standing in the sand with Randy the goat, and Ron was gloating, watching Don boating. And just when Don could take no more from the shore, Ron said in his outside voice, you wanted my boat so bad you made a dumb choice. You were so excited to trade my boat for your goat, you did no thinking, and now the boat you traded for is sinking. When I told you I wanted to make a deal, you were so consumed with how you feel that you never stopped to ask why I wanted to trade. You just thought you had it made. I got the best of you. I won the deal, and now I'm, a, and now I'm all dry and happy. How do you feel? Oh, man. Don was seething so much he was having trouble breathing. Don thought, Ron is so lucky I'm not on land. I would take his head and shove it in the sand. But then... Just then, while Don was thinking and sinking and shaking his fist at the wisdom he'd missed, he heard a noise. It was a voice. Hey, boys. He turned and looked to the other side of the lake, and there on the opposite shore was Eileen V., the most extraordinary girl he ever did meet. He went to school with Eileen V., but she was so cool. When he tried to talk to her, all he did was drool and blabber on like a fool because in the presence of her cool, he felt like a tool. But there she was, standing on the beach just out of reach, generating a buzz in his heart, but they were so far apart. Eileen V. stood there holding a vat of chili made from a recipe she got from her brother whose name was Willie. Don had had Willie's chili before. It made him sore. It was better than anything from the store. What he wouldn't give for some of Willie's chili in that vat on the beach in the arms of that girl out of reach. Eileen V. yelled to Don, It appears like you're sinking. I can only imagine what you're thinking. Isn't that the boat Willie told me you traded for your goat? I don't know about that, but here in my vat I have some really good food. Would you like to come ashore for some? It'll probably help your mood. But just then, Ron interrupted from across the sea. What about me? I love me some Willie's chili. Forget about Don. He's got a leak in his teak and a veritable scare in his underwear. How about I come over there? I'm already in a good mood for your food, and you can pet my goat Randy while we get Sandy eating that from your vat. But Eileen V. could smell a rat in no time flat. She knew what Ron was up to. She'd already thought it through. So she said, okay, Ron, I'll give you some. But first... 
we cut a deal under this glorious sun. I'll give you some chili that tastes better from candy, but only if you trade me for your goat named Randy. How do you feel about this possible deal? And you know what Ron said from the other side of the lake? That's a deal I'll take. So Ron ran around the lake while Don swam to shore, angry again that Ron had gotten more. But when he got to land, all wet and perspiring, he realized that something unexpected was transpiring. Eileen V. gave Ron some chili, the kind that she made with her brother Willie. Then she traded for the goat, which she handed over to Don, saying, Don, here is Randy. I realize he's sandy, but you don't need a boat to row with an oar. You need your goat back like things were before. Then she turned to Ron as well, because there was more she'd be saying. Both of them stood there, slack-jawed and waiting. Eileen V. looked them both in the eyes, those two goat and boat guys. She stared them straight through, and then she spoke. <sighs> you boys and your deals. You know why we girls have all the power? You're tossed to and fro from hour to hour. Do you realize what just happened? Can you grasp what just occurred? You wanted what you wanted, and so your vision was blurred. You get all hot and bothered. You envy and you gloat. You'll do anything just to get an old boat that doesn't float. You don't realize the strain this puts on your brain. You get all worked up in a lather when we women would rather make a plan that we can understand. The future is female. You know why that's true? Because we take our time and we think things through. Ron, I got your goat. And Don, I got yours too. And if you both don't evolve, we girls will have it all when we're through. And with that, Eileen V. turned and walked away, leaving Ron and Don for once with nothing to say. <laughs>